Won't you be my neighbor? Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, you sound like the uh, post-holiday blues have set in. How many of you guys ate a tremendous amount during Christmas week? How about uh, during New Year's week? How many plan on stopping? A few of us? Not very many. That's good. I'm going to be with you. Um, Man, it's so good to see you. It's good to be back from uh, such a wonderful holiday time. We just saw some tremendous things happen in the lives of people, and there was just such a warmth during the the holiday season. We, if you didn't know, we had home church last week where we just said, hey, be at home and take time to reflect, and we had a kind of a digital devotional we sent out. Um, I hope you guys had a great time. Maybe it was waffle church for you, or pancake church, or cold oatmeal church for you. I don't know what it was, but man, it's good to be here, and uh, wanted to welcome you if this is your first time here, and man, if you've been here with us since we started in a home, we're a church plant, just so grateful to be here together. Our goal at Whitewater is to really help every person on their spiritual journey take a step toward a flourishing life with God, flourishing in their relationships, in their health, in their um, relationship with God. And so uh, we're starting this new series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I really just want to jump right in, but I, I should just say the reason we're doing this, the reason we're doing this series is we live in a world where I think people want to have more love in their life. I think people want healthier relationships. I think people want to heal uh, in their relationships. Um, and yet we find ourselves in a world where if, if people have differing or disturbing or frustrating opinions and very, um, maybe even people who are dislikable to us, we, we see gaps between people that have become so black and white that, that relationship isn't happening or it's really, um, people don't know how to love each other. Are you guys seeing any of this? And it, whether it's on social media and families or in the world around us, um, uh, people are struggling knowing how to be good neighbors. And we just want to be a church that we're constantly tackling this uh, as a church family because you can belong before you believe here. That means we have to actually love one another and we have to be unified in our diversity. There's going to be lots of different personalities and perspectives and backgrounds and, uh, and we're here to love one another, not be the same. We're not talking about sameness, but unity with diversity, I think, is so important. So um, that's why we're tackling this. And uh, I, this whole series is an invitation to a life of love. So uh, let's get started. If you uh, want to, you can pull out notes, um, follow along. Um, you can pull out your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. You can also follow up on the screen behind me. And um, we're going to jump right in. Oh, I should also mention we are a Bible-believing um, church, but I've also noticed that we must be a Seahawk-believing church because there's a lot of Seahawks out there. Are any of you guys excited about this game today? Yay. <laughs> I'm a little, some of you guys sound nervous. Um, Marshawn Lynch was supposed to take away that nervousness. I guess not. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to jump into uh, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. I just felt we can't look at how to be good neighbors without looking at this passage. So let's jump into verse 25. Verse 25. <clears throat> One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. How many of you guys have, for those of you who have studied Jesus and looked at the Bible, does it ever go well for the, for the religious experts when they test Jesus with the Bible? Um, let's see how this encounter goes. Um, he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, 
What should I do to inherit eternal life? If what Jesus uh, taught about uh, the human soul being of infinite value and that eternity has been put in the hearts of every person and that we're designed to be unending beings that uh, live life uh, eternally with and for God and uh, if that's true and we're designed for that, um, it's probably a pretty good question to say, well, how do I inherit that eternal life? How how do I live a life uh, of eternity? So uh, I love how Jesus responds. Check this out. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? What do you think? The man answered, well, um, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this guy's ready for a fight. And check out what Jesus says. He says, right, that's it. Uh, go and do that and you will live. You'll, you'll live eternal life. You'll bring kingdom life here and now. You don't have to wait until you're in heaven to live that kind of life. You can love God and love people now. That's it. Go do it. And I think this guy was ready for a fight because he's, su- he's surprised. The man wanted to justify his actions for even asking that question. Um, so he asked Jesus, well, well, who is my neighbor then? Who's my neighbor? I just want to stop for a moment and recognize something. This guy is a religious expert. It means he probably has copious volumes of the Old Testament memorized. How many of you guys have uh, one book of the Old Testament memorized? Are there a few of you in here? Two books? Three books? Pharisees had, I think, have four or five books of the uh, Old Testament memorized. This guy knows his stuff. And, and yet he says, okay, what's... What's the, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus just says, well, what do you think? And uh, he says, well, it's love God and love people. And Jesus says, yeah, just do that. And the man reveals an issue that he has in his, in his next question when he says, well, and who is my neighbor? What he reveals is he knows a lot about the Bible and he knows a lot about the law and he knows a lot about loving people. I know that the Bible says I'm supposed to love God. The Bible says to love people. It's pretty simple. I know about that, but he doesn't actually know how to do it. So what he's saying is, in essence, I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor and how do I love them, Jesus? And he's a religious expert in the law. What's a religious expert's job? To know that, certainly, and to teach it. So Jesus is revealing what he really knows and what he doesn't know. It's like if, so, if you're supposed to love your neighbor, it means loving people. It's like someone saying like, I know I'm supposed to love my wife, but how do I do that? I know I'm supposed to love my brother and my sister, but how do I actually love them? And, so, and there's two different ways to read the Bible. One is to read it for knowledge, and one is to let the Bible read you so that you can start living the Bible. To read your life, like where, uh, how are you doing? Are you loving people? And as you let the Bible read you or as you let the Bible inform you about God's love, it's something to transform you. Not a transaction, but to transform you. I had a friend who said it, uh, like this, like if you, uh, if you want to learn how to swim, do you, do you do it by reading a book? The Bible is something meant to transform our actual lives. Let's keep going here. So, um, 
Jesus says, right, the man tries to justify himself and then Jesus replies with a story in verse 30. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, a religious leader, comes along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side, and another religious leader is like, mm, nope. And then verse 33, it says, a despised Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were um, enemies. A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he uh, handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And now, which one of these three, Jesus talks to, to the man, he comes out of the story, He says, now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan because it's so like disgusting and that's an enemy and I disagree with everything that Samaritans stand for. He just said the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. Now go and do the same. Go and do that. And I, I love this story for so many reasons. There's so many dimensions of this text. And when I normally have taught this or even heard other people teach it, the focus is the story of the Good Samaritan, which is echoed through the centuries. Yeah, how many of you guys have heard the Good Samaritan story before? Many of us, right? That's why there's hospitals called the Good Samaritan. It's, it's this amazing story. But what I want to look at today are the, uh, the dimensions of this text that, that teach us about um, how Jesus loves his neighbor. How he actively, in this story, how Jesus actively loves his neighbor. And in this series, just for, for anybody who might be interested, I'm, I'm going to use a few different styles of teaching, uh, which is usually what we do here. I'm going to use something called exegetical, where we kind of go line by line through passages. I'm going to use a narrative uh, form of reading the Bible, which is looking at the threads and the stories and the narrative and how they connect. I'm also going to look at what Jesus, um, day and age, they called wisdom teaching. And they were just teaching wisdom, how to apply wisdom to our lives. So this whole series is going to be that. And um, I want to focus today on three things we can learn from Jesus in, in a life of love, a life of loving neighbor. Um, and, and here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at control, connecting, and caring. Now, when you hear control, you might be like, what? Control? And someone's like, I'm out of here. And you leave angry. And someone's like, I love control. And you're going to leave and go control people. But I'll define what I mean by that here in a moment. Okay, so um, would you watch this video uh, real quick? I guess you know that I really love music. In fact, it's been very, very important to me since I was very little. My mom and dad didn't like me to bang when I was angry. But I found that if I played the piano when I was angry, they didn't mind that. So that's what I did. 
play like that. And then little by little I'd see that the music would be sounding less and less angry. So it seemed that the more I played, the more anger got out of me. And I felt better about everything. That's one reason I wrote that song, Good Feeling, because it does give you a good feeling to know that there's something that you can do to help you become the master of the mad that you feel and not have to hurt yourself or anybody else. I hope that you're finding your ways of saying how you feel, ways that don't hurt you or anybody else, really help people to have very good feelings. Don't you love just listening to that voice? Some of you guys are like, no, I hate it. Makes me feel like I'm, I haven't done something right. We pop on Mr. Rogers for my kids and, and my daughter will just stop what she's doing, just listen to him and it's slow, like, hey, neighbor. You know, he's got that. And I'll be do, doing some work and then I, I'll slowly just start like getting lost in what he's talking about. I, I love Mr. Rogers. There's a, a guy who's so loving and so gentle. He was, he was actually an ordained minister in the Presbyterian church. And he gave his life, he saw his ministry as public broadcasting. He was, for, in his day and age, he was using technology ahead of its time to bring a positive message to help kids love and, and negotiate the world around them. And in a world that was blowing up and, you know, like the, in the 60s, there was a lot of stuff going on, the sexual revolution, and there was uh, divorce uh, was, was hitting new, new uh, heights in, in America. Kids were, were often without parents and were with, without parents who were teaching them to manage their emotions. I love that. He says, how do you learn to master the mad that you feel? What a great statement for kids, but man, I, I work with a lot of adults, and I think for myself and other adults, what a great statement for us. How do you master the mad that you feel so that you don't hurt yourself or other people that you love and that you're called to love? Um, this guy gave his whole life to helping kids manage their emotions and negotiate the world around them. And, and he was a Jesus follower. And I think there's some tremendous things we can learn. And the first principle that I think we can learn from Jesus is control. Control yourself instead of controlling others. Controlling yourself instead of controlling others. And what I mean by control, it's in the positive sense. Not like you're just trying to control everything around you, but controlling yourself as in controlling your emotions so your emotions don't control you. Um, it, it, like controlling your appetite, not just eating everything in front of you when you're sad, angry, mad, or whatever. Like, that's something I have to learn to control my appetite. That's a good thing. Controlling your car. I think it's really good when people have control of their cars. Uh, learning to control the drive. You know, if you go golfing, you're trying to drive it straight, not slicing it, not hooking it, but having control. Uh, the, the, the sense of, of, of management, self control. It's a biblical concept. I think it's so important. I'm not talking in the negative. I'm not talking in like the uh, abusive sense, but in the good sense, like body control, having good body control is helpful. You learn that in kindergarten. Don't punch, don't bite, don't throw sand in kids' faces. Self-control is good. I love uh, Proverbs 25, 28 says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. 
A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What does that mean? Well, in the, the times that this was written, in ancient times, if you had no walls, then your city was vulnerable to attack and, and it could be a taken over at any given moment. And so many people in our day and age, they're walking around and they never had a parent, they never had a father figure, a mother figure, uh, work with them on building the walls of self-control in their life. And we live in a day and age where we are more technologically advanced than ever. We have more information than ever. We have people who have more education than has ever been educated on the face of the planet in history. People smarter, more technologically advanced, and yet more emotionally immature than they probably like to admit. And when people who are so smart and so well-trained and they have so many gifts and so many talents have an emotional thing happen, an event happens, something that bothers them, something that causes fear, anger, anxiety, any of the above, the, the, the six-year-old them lurches up. The 13-year-old Randy lurches up. The 11-year-old Susan lurches up and like just comes out and they can't control it. And, and what I want to encourage us today is to, to learn that we have to learn to control ourselves and our emotions so that we're not being controlled by them and we're not controlling people around us or imagining that we're in control of people around us. Jesus, look at how Jesus dealt with this guy. I, I, Jesus exemplifies this in Luke 10, 29 and 30. Um, the man wanted to justify his actions, it says. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's being annoying. He's being, you know, he's trying to trick, trick Jesus. Ultimately, he's part of a group of people that are trying to condemn and, and crucify Jesus. And Jesus, it says he just, he didn't get angry. He didn't yell at him. He wasn't like, curse you, you know, and wither the man's hand or something, you know. Some of you might do that. I might do that, you know, like, ah, I'd, I'd put it back. But I'd just let him know I had a little bit of that power, you know, if I was Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just replied, with a story. He replied with a story. Um, how do you handle your emotions? Do you let your emotions control you? Do you ever have moments where like you're trying to control everything around you because you don't feel like you're in control of yourself? I know that happens with me. We had a family member um, who was a great aunt, Francis, and um, she was so well known for controlling everyone in the room and her family with her emotions and her anger that people were afraid to, uh, to be around her. One time she cooked a pie, and this is famous in the family, cooked a pie and put this pie, it was blackberry pie. You ever had blackberry pie? They're amazing, unless you forget to put sugar in it. She forgot to put sugar in, and everyone in the family got their slice, and she handed it out. And this is a family reunion. Everyone started eating the blackberry pie, and it was so sour, like there were tears. <laughs> no one said a word. And they just kept shoving it in their mouth, this terrible pie. And she sat down, and she got her the last slice, and she put a big mouthful, and she goes, oh, oh, I forgot the sugar. How can you guys be eating all this? And everyone's just silent just eating and then she realized everyone was afraid to say anything because they were afraid of her and she got so hurt she started crying she's like why would you do that to me how could you what would you and she's like you all are a bunch of and started controlling the situation 
which had caused the situation in the first place. Um, I'm trying to help my daughter in this season learn how to control her emotions. And I'm having to do that by modeling, controlling my own emotions. So Novella's little brother, Novella's six, her brother's two, he'll run up and he's learned that he can do things that make her angry. He can kind of control her at times. So he'll, he ran, he, he'll run up and he'll like headbutt her like on the leg and just go, and he'll go, ah, and he does this real, the noise is worse than the headbutt. He'll just be like, ah, and headbutt, and headbutt, and ah, and then, you know, she'll be like, stop it, Wes, and then headbutt, ah, stop it, I said, stop it, and then all of a sudden he'll do it again, she'll be like, mom, dad, he's headbutting me, and he's yelling, and we'll look over and be like, Wes, you can't do that, we'll control our emotions really good, stop it, you know. <laughs> And he'll stop for a second and he'll watch as we kind of go back to our thing. Novella goes back to, and then he'll run up and be like, ah, and headbutt. And she'll be like, ah. And all of a sudden we come into this mess and she's run out and he's crying, she's crying. And, and, uh, and I'll sit her down. What happened? He made me hit him. <laughs> How did he make you? He headbutted me and he made me so mad. He was, you heard that noise. And um, I understand what she's feeling. Have you guys understand that? Some of you guys drove here and you're like, I understand that on the way here and and I will I work with adults and they, they'll have the same logic this person made me blow up this person made me do this they made me melt down because of they they said this slow that down for a second they forced me to lose my emotions when they said this thing when they disagreed with me or when they believed this political belief that no one in the right mind could believe and so it justifies and um, I don't know about you, but kids aren't so different from adults sometimes because, kid, because adults still have that kid in them. I know for me, um, my journey of self-control is I'm, a, I'm the oldest. This might not resonate with anybody but the oldest you know, kid in the family, but I was the oldest. I was the oldest sibling, and what that means is like you're responsible for the younger ones. Any older siblings in here? You're responsible, right? And what happens if one of, the, one of the, your siblings, I had a sister three and a half years younger and a brother who's 12 years younger, but I, you know, I was responsible for him. What happens if they get hurt? What's the first question from your parents? What did you let them do? Like, why didn't you help them? Um, and so I had to, I, my job as, as, a, as the older at least I felt it was my job. I just grew up thinking, I need to protect them. I need, I, I need to make sure they don't get in trouble. And I needed to control the situation for them and make sure they're not doing what they Maybe I did. I think I did. That was funny. I'm getting so fired up being an older brother. Um, yeah, just calm down, breathe. Um, I remember um, also like... It, like with my daughter, she'll be doing something that, that her little brother shouldn't do, but she could do, but he shouldn't do because he's too little to hurt himself and be like, no, Belle, you can't do that because you're an example for your, your little brother. And I'll remember hearing my parents say that to me, like, hey, George, you can't do that because you, you're an example for them. They're not, that'll hurt them. And I had to, I remember having to limit myself from things I could do so that they wouldn't hurt themselves. I had to limit myself. I had to be responsible for them. And I, I started, you know, having to be in control of the situation. And there's the, my journey of, like, learning to control my emotions was, like, 
I would reach out and try to control the situation because I felt responsible. And one of the freeing things, but hard things for me to learn is to learn that I am responsible to people, but not always responsible for others. And trying not to control the situation. So I'd have to like, when I get mad and things are going around, I'd get set things right and get things ready and uh, manage it. But I've had to learn I'm not in control. How many of you guys know that the things you think you're in control of, you're not really always in control of? And so I'd have to like stop, stop, drop, and breathe. Stop. I've been learning this, and I try to apply this even now with my life. It's just stop. Stop whatever I'm doing. Put the pause button if I'm getting angry. <sighs> drop my agenda. Like, okay, drop the agenda. What I wanted, what I needed, what had to happen, what was supposed to be happening. Okay, that's not reality now. Just drop the agenda. And breathe. And you guys, like, don't forget the breathe part. That's really important. Like, breathe. And um, I learned this from Bob Goff. I've been doing this, too. When I, like, and sometimes people can do such irritating things or just be so wrong or so act so ugly. But if I let them determine my behavior, I'm not in control of myself. I'm giving my control away. I'm giving my power away. And so what I've been learning, I learned this from Bob Goff, is I just, like, relax my hands. And when I've relaxed my hands, I open my hands at, like, Oh, my body's not tense and I'm kind of releasing it. Like if you're sitting by a table, you can just do it under the table, just release your hands. I don't like what this person's saying. It sounds really stupid to me. Or I don't like what's going on. Just opening my hands and letting it go. And I, I can't tell you what help that, that is for me. Um, isn't it so easy to let the exterior things control us? And you can feel what you feel but how do you master the mad that you feel? I love that Mr. Rogers challenges with us with that. Usually our reactions to triggers, I don't know what yours are, but you, I could put them in three broad categories real quickly. Uh, one would be fight. Some people fight, some people have flight, and some people freeze. So fighting's like the person who's like ready to call, go over, or text someone. Like they're ready to like let someone, let, let them know and tell them off. Do you have any fighters here? Like, I'm ready to tell you what was wrong. Uh, how about flight? People who are ready to flight and flee. And it's kind of like, I want to avoid. I don't want to talk about this. Like, let's just crawl under the carpet for a little while. You know, and let's avoid this. And then, uh, how about f- any, any people who freeze? Freezing for me is like, oh, I'd rather eat this, you know, 12-day-old donut at the bottom of my car, you know, and eat that. Freeze. You know, if I just don't move, maybe they'll go away. (laughs) Nope. Nope, they're still here. How do we react? Um, Boy, there's so much I could say on this, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. I think the biggest thing is to be able to push pause and control your emotions instead of letting them control you. And... How, how could you, what way could you begin to put pause when the emotions start to rile you? When you're going into fight, flight, or freeze mode. The next thing I want to talk to you about is connecting. Learning to connect. If we learn how to control our emotions rather than controlling everyone else around us. You know, I will back up on that one. I, I just got to say this. I was at a Husky game one time and some lady started yelling at my daughter. 
And I was like, that was the dad moment. I was kind of getting mad. And I was like, honey, it's okay. Some people just are emotionally, they can't handle th- their emotional children. Uh, and my daughter was all scared. This lady was yelling. She's an old, older lady in her 50s. And it all of a sudden realized to me, this person, <laughs> my wife isn't in her 50s, just to be clear. No. Yeah, for, for some of us, it's older. Some of it's not. Yours is definitely old. You're, you're a little bit older there. So I remember this lady's yelling at my daughter, and I just was so upset, and I realized she was trying to control her situation. She was trying to control, and she was trying to control this little four-year-old. And it was so ugly. And I realized, oh, that's the inner child. It helped me try to, try to connect with her. Now, when we start to realize and see these things, if we can start controlling our own emotions, we can start connecting with other people's emotions. So connecting is really important. Connect before you correct. This is something I've had to learn as a parent, uh, as a pastor, as a husband. Connect before you correct. It's learning to have empathy. Look at this uh, with Jesus. One day, an expert in the religious law, this is in verse 25 and 26, a religious law, uh, leader stood up and and tried to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? This guy is trying to test Jesus. He's, he's, being, he's not being a nice guy. He's kind of being a jerk. And, and Jesus doesn't correct him right then and there. Look what Jesus does. He says, well, what, do those, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Tell me. And Jesus connects with them, and he, he doesn't get angry. And then the guy says, well, it's love God, love people. And Jesus says, right, go and do that. Just go do that. He doesn't fight him. He doesn't, like, correct him. He just, what do you think? I love that. What an example. And I, I want you guys to think of, when we're thinking of connecting with people, it's important to remember a few things. Um, I'm just going to hit a few practical things. This is wisdom, okay? This is just wisdom. Hopefully it's wisdom. Think of the four to one rule. Think of four to one. There's this um, relationship marriage guru named John Gottman, and he studied um, I think he studied like thousands of marriage, married people. And he talks about this four to one rule. And it simply is this. Um, if, if you can connect with somebody positively before you go negative or correct or critique, he's like, it, it has a more positive outcome. And when he studied relationships, he found that the relationships that had a four to one ratio of positive, good interactions, whether it's loving someone, a word of kindness, maybe just being interested, maybe just listening to the partner. In marriages, he saw this, if they had a four to one ratio, it it was like the marriage was going to last. If they had anything less than a four to one, he could, could with 96% accuracy, tell you whether the marriage would fail or make it. Think about that. So uh, when I think about this, I think of like, man, how do I react when people are positive or negative to me? And I can have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things said to me, but if one of them is negative, guess which one I think about? That's how we're wired. And it's like, like we have to like pull against that, that whatever it is in the human heart that wants to look and focus on the negative, we have to learn to focus on the positive. But we also in our relationships have to begin putting these deposits in the heart of positive interactions, of positive. No, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. 
I think John Maxwell said that. Jesus probably said it before him. <laughs> Pretty sure. Might be in the Bible somewhere. Um, so here's a few things that are, are positive ways of interacting with each other. Perspective. How do we think from someone else's perspective? Uh, recognizing emotion, like reading faces. I've been doing this with uh, Novella and my son and my wife even will like, it's for Wes, our two-year-old, but like, does this person look sad or does this person look upset? And you know, Bella's like this, I'm happy. And then I'll be like, Novella looks sad. And she'll be like, Arr. I'm like, that's more furious. Um, but what do they look like? Can you, can you relate to what they feel? Can you read them? And I have friends who are really good at looking from other people's perspectives. They're really good at controlling their emotions. They can control their emotions so well it makes other people mad how well they control their emotions. Like, I'm not mad. Are you mad? Are you mad, bro? You know, like that kind of thing. And, uh, but they're terrible at reading people's expressions. Like, they'll walk in, someone's crying. They're like, hey, want a pork chop? You know, like, can't read it. And then the, the other thing is learning to identify um, with emotion. And here's how I'm doing it with my daughter, because I, I, I'm trying to learn to connect heart to heart the best I can. And so when, um, I'll, I'll give an example with my son. Like, he didn't get a cookie. He had a few cookies. He didn't get the one he wanted after the first two or something. And he was mad. He's like, I want a cookie. I want, I need, that's this thing. I need cookie. I need it. And I was like, no, bud. You know, it's putting a limit on him. Nope, we can't have any more. I need it. And I was like, you're sad because you don't get to have that cookie. Yeah, I sad. And I just said, you know what? I get sad when I can't have cookies. And I looked at his mom, you know, I was like, how come I can't? I get sad. And he's like, yeah, we sad. And, uh, and he stayed mad, but it, it just changed the complexion when I connected with him rather than telling him how he should feel. You ever had people who try to tell you and correct you on how you should feel and how you shouldn't feel? Just, just connect with people. The other one, that perspective finding, I tried to do this over the, the break. I'll, I'll just tell you this because this is my journey in helping learn to connect. But there was a guy who, uh, we were driving through Aberdeen going to Westport, who like, I thought he stopped, but he, I guess he didn't. He was just a slow turner. You ever been behind a slow turner? They're turning into like a parking lot and like all traffic stop. I'm right behind him. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, the kids are, you know, loud and all this stuff's going. I'm like, are you kidding me? And Sarah's like, George. And I'm like, okay, I need to take his perspective. And I'm like, I'm imagining. And he was in this old like Buick type of big grandpa boat vehicle. And uh, he was driving this thing. It's so slow. And I was like, what does the world look like to him right now? And I just imagined I was him sitting there and, and everything was just super fast. And it was like, whoa, like, everything's just crazy fast and out of control and I just need to hit the brakes a little bit and I'm going to and then reality it was like this slowly turning slowly and that putting myself in his shoes it made me laugh and I wasn't angry anymore sometimes we just need to laugh and it helps us amen all right I gotta jump to this this last thing would you watch this video real quick on empathy So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective-taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, 
not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, you climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. <laughs> I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now, I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Empathy, connecting with other people, drives us to what the Bible calls compassion learning how to really truly care for people. Compassionate interaction over condemnation. Check this out. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it says, then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Compassion isn't just a feeling. Compassion is, it, 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 it's action. It's loving action. So in verse 34, he goes over to him, soothes the wounds, uh, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, heals him up, pays for him, takes care of him. That's compassion. And uh, if we can't learn to control our emotions, we aren't going to be able to connect with our sons and daughters, our friends, our family members, our spouses, our coworkers. We're not gonna connect with their emotions. And if we can't connect with their emotions, we will not be able to have compassionate interaction. And that's, and this, that's what this whole thing is. It really is like a virtuous circle. When we can control ourselves, we can connect with people. When we connect with people, we will be compassionate in our interactions with them. If we can't, we're going to try to control it. We're going to try to correct it. And we're going to try to, we're ultimately going to condemn. We're going to condemn. This, the religious leader that's talking with Jesus, he's trying to get Jesus condemned. And his whole argument is trying to condemn who Jesus is, what he stands for, and what he's doing. And Jesus never, he doesn't condemn even this guy who is having a condemnation type of conversation with him. I think this is so amazing. Um, we live in a world where people want to condemn so quickly the people we disagree with. How could you believe that politically? 
how could you think that uh, religiously? How could you believe that about this? And we want to condemn, we want to judge and condemn and punish when Jesus is showing us this other way of loving neighbor. The greatest sign to the world of a God who loves his neighbors is when God's people love their neighbors. Let me say that again. The greatest sign to a watching world that God loves his neighbors is when God's people love their neighbors. Compassionate interaction. When we're building people up, we're identifying with them, that we're acts of service and love from little things to big things, that we're crossing the gap, we're taking the initiative. We're, I might disagree with you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you. I might hate that thing you said. I might hate that thing you did but I'm going to choose to love you. I'm not gonna let my emotions take over. I feel angry about this, and it's okay to feel angry. We just don't let it take over. It's okay to feel sad. How many of you guys know, like, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm in a church, I know that sometimes people think that like guilt is good in church or whatever. I'm, I'm t- this is a guilt-free zone, and it's okay to feel what you feel. We just have to be able to manage it. We, it's a river should be a river, but when it gets out of the banks, it becomes a flood. And I want you guys to ha- be able to connect in your marriages, connect with your, with your kids. Let them know that they're loved and they're cared for, and to have compassionate interactions with you who are teachers, you who are out in the world and doing amazing work with your life. You might not know it. You're doing amazing work loving the neighbors that God has brought you. And I love how Jesus flips this. The the guy is asking, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus flips it on him. He says, that's the wrong question. You're, You're making it about you. The question is, to whom have you been called to be a neighbor to? Who are you a neighbor to? Who has God brought into your path? And Jesus flips it to compassion. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about love. How do we love? Amen? So let me give you this challenge and then read this, read this beautiful poem slash song for Mr. Rogers. This week, be thinking about the area you're strongest in controlling your emotions or connecting with other people's emotions or compassionate interaction. Uh, what are you strongest in? And, and do more of that. Do more of that. And teach others to do it. And, and then think about what, what area am I weakest in? Controlling my emotions, my anger, my fear, or connecting with people, going out of my way, or compa- being just compassionate, doing compassionate things. And start working on that a little bit. Let me read you this song, poem from, from Fred Rogers as we close. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite... When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up some friends for a game of tag? Some of you adults need to do that. Or see how fast you can go. It's, a, it's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong to be able to do something else instead and, and think of this song. I can stop when I want to. I can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Let me pray for our church that we'd be a church that shines the neighboring love of God so people know that there's a God who loves them. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. 
Jesus, thank you for being a model of, of, of control of who you are, control of the emotions that you had, and the, the will to connect, even with people who hated you and, and were your enemies. You loved them. Thank you for your compassion that just flowed through your life, through your death and resurrection. We love you, Jesus. Amen.